Good morning. I'm really glad you've come back this week because, let's be honest, in a book all about the loving kindness of God, it wasn't a very good start last week, was it? Just in case you've forgotten, let me remind you of what Naomi said at the end of chapter 1. Don't call me sweet, she said, call me bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but Yahweh has brought me back empty. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi was bitter and she was harbouring resentment toward Yahweh because she was finding it very hard to see how he was loving all kind. But did you hear what she said at the end of chapter 2? It's there in verse 20. She said, Yahweh has not stopped showing his hesed. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. In the space of one chapter, you see, Naomi's done a complete backflip, hasn't she? Now, the question is, what has happened in the space of one chapter to bring about such a change in Naomi? Well, what has happened is that she has now clearly seen God's hesed. Back in chapter 1, remember, it was pretty well hidden. It was hard to see how God was being loving or kind. But here in chapter 2, that all changes. In this chapter, God's hesed is no longer hidden. In fact, It is out there on display for everyone to see. In Ruth chapter 2, you see, God clearly shows his loving kindness. And it is so obvious, it is so overt, that even bitter Naomi can see it. So let's have a look. We're going to work our way through the chapter. And as we do that, we're just going to keep an eye out for the ways that God is clearly showing his loving kindness. And the first way he does that is through a series of really fortunate events. Ruth chapter, one, uh, Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now this almost just seems like a random detail at the start of the chapter. In fact, if you just deleted that verse altogether, it wouldn't really make much difference. The narrative would just carry on. It would go something like this. Uh, end of chapter 1, Naomi and Ruth returned from Moab arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning, then jump down to verse 2, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the grain. Flows pretty well without verse 1 being in there at all. So if it doesn't need to be there, the question is, why include it at all? Well, I guess the reason is to draw our attention to this guy, Boaz, because as the story goes on, he actually becomes a pretty important character. And by including this verse, the narrator actually gives us, the reader, some inside information because at this point, Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is. She hasn't heard of him and she doesn't actually find out who he is and what his relation to Naomi is until the end of the chapter. But we, the reader, now know that he exists. We know he's a man of standing. We know he's a close relative, a kinsman of Naomi, a detail which is going to become really important. And so by including this verse, the narrator has flagged for us to keep an eye on this guy, Boaz. So we'll do that. Let's see what happens next. Verse 2. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now, you're getting the picture here? Naomi and Ruth, they're back in Bethlehem. And the barley and wheat harvests have started, but because of a series of unfortunate events back in chapter 1, they've only just arrived back, they have no family, remember, they have no crop, they have no money, and they have no food, 
And so Ruth decides to go out to the fields to try and pick up some leftover grain after the harvesters have been through. At this point, things are looking pretty grim for Naomi and Ruth. But fortuitously, seemingly by chance, things are about to take a turn for the better. Let's carry on, halfway through verse 3. As it turned out, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, right? As it turned out, Ruth found herself working in a field belonging to, guess who? Boaz. Now there's a surprise, isn't there? Ruth goes out to the fields to work and as it turns out, seemingly by chance, she just happens to end up in the field belonging to Boaz. It's pretty cosy. But as if that's not cosy enough, as if that's not fortunate enough, verse 4, just then, Boaz arrived. Now what are the chances? Ruth happens to end up in Boaz's field and just then Boaz himself turns up. It's uncanny really, isn't it? But that's not the end of this series of fortunate events because out of all the people working in the field, guess who happens to catch Boaz's eye? Verse 5. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabites who came back from Moab with Naomi. Now just imagine that. Naomi has this mysterious relative, Boaz, who is a close kinsman, a man of standing. Ruth goes out to the fields to work and by a slice of luck happens to end up in Boaz's field. Coincidentally, just then, Boaz arrives and fortuitously, out of everyone in the field, Ruth just happens to catch his eye. It's a really fortunate sequence of events, isn't it? It's an amazing set of coincidences. Or is it? I can see someone shaking their head up the back there. I mean, don't you reckon it almost seems as though this was all meant to happen? Don't you reckon it seems as though someone is behind the scenes just pulling the strings? It is just so cosy, it's so corny, it's so hammed up, it's, it's so over the top and so coincidental that it doesn't really seem like just a series of fortunate events, does it? It actually feels a lot more like God sovereignly ordering events so as to clearly show his loving kindness. And I think that's how we're meant to see this because that's how Naomi sees it. At the end of the chapter, remember, when she hears about all these events, what does she say? Verse 20, Yahweh has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. As far as Naomi's concerned, these fortunate events are God clearly showing his loving kindness. But they're not the only example of that in this chapter because it's through these fortunate events that Boaz arrives on the scene and it's through Boaz that God continues to show his loving kindness. Let's pick it up from verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. You know, for Ruth, going out to glean in the fields would have been an absolutely terrifying experience. Being a widow and a stranger in a foreign land made her one of the most vulnerable people in society. Among other things, she would have been vulnerable to starvation and exploitation, but now on top of that, She's out in the fields, on her own, surrounded by a bunch of men she doesn't know, with no one to protect her. 
She is completely vulnerable at this point. Women like her were almost considered fair game, open to the very real threat of sexual harassment and being molested, open to the threat of verbal abuse and violence. In the fields, Ruth would have been completely unsure whether she was welcome. She would have been afraid of being rebuked and driven away, and if that happened, she would have been absolutely terrified that she'd be unable to provide enough food for her and Naomi. And so what a relief it must have been when through God's loving kindness and through his sovereign ordering of events, Boaz arrived. What a relief it must have been when God showed his loving kindness through Boaz. Now, how did God do that? How did he show his kindness through Boaz? Well, essentially, it was as Boaz obeyed God's word. You see, God, in his loving kindness, because of his loving kindness, has a particular concern for the vulnerable. Because of his loving kindness, he made sure in the law that vulnerable people like Ruth would be protected and provided for. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 10, he said this, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens. Because of his loving kindness, you see, God required his people to protect and provide for the fatherless and the widow and the alien. A bit later on in Deuteronomy 24, he said this, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless and the widow. Again, because of his loving kindness, God commanded landowners not to go over the harvest a second time to get what was missed. Instead, he commanded them to leave it so that the poor and the alien and the fatherless and the widow would be provided for. Now, back here in Ruth, when Boaz is doing exactly those things, when he's leaving the leftover grain, when he's inviting Ruth to come into his field and to pick it up, he's obeying God's word. And so, in a sense, Boaz is acting out God's loving kindness. He's doing the things that God, in his kindness, demanded to be done. That's how God is showing his hesed through Boaz, you see, by requiring him to do things that are loving and kind. Now, what's really interesting is the end of that Deuteronomy 10 passage, because God doesn't simply require his people to protect the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, but did you see what he says? You are to actually love those who are aliens. And what happens in the rest of the chapter is that Boaz obeys God's word completely. He does show love for the widow and the alien. So, for example, in verse 9, he doesn't simply invite Ruth to stay in his field, but he says, I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that they have filled. See, Boaz doesn't just follow the letter of the law, He follows the spirit of the law. He makes sure Ruth is safe. He makes sure she's provided for with water in this case. He protects and he provides for her in an excessive way, in a, you know, I guess you could say a loving way, in a way that actually reflects God's character. In verse 14, at lunchtime, Boaz invites Ruth to come over and to have some of his bread and to dip it into the wine vinegar with him. And we're told when she sat down with the harvesters, He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and she had some leftover. 
Now, that's a bit excessive, isn't it? Ruth ate all she wanted and she had leftovers. It was abundant, it was overflowing, but you get this sense that that was actually what God wanted. He wanted his people to to love those who were aliens, to protect and to provide for them excessively in abundance. Because, of course, that was how he protected and provided for them. But even that's still not enough because in verse 15, not only does Boaz allow Ruth to glean from the leftovers, but he tells his men to deliberately pull out stalks and to leave them for her. Verse 15, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her, rather pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. You see the way that Boaz is completely obeying God's word here? See the way that he's showing love to the alien? All he had to do was to leave the leftover grain, but he actually tells his men to deliberately pull out extra stalks and to leave them for Ruth to pick up. But the final straw, so to speak, is that Boaz doesn't intend just to show kindness to Ruth on this one day, but he actually invites her to stay in his field until the entire harvest is done. And so effectively, Boaz ensures that Ruth is protected and provided for, which is exactly what God in his loving kindness intended. And so you see, as Boaz completely obeyed God's word, on one level, what he was doing was he was showing loving kindness to Ruth. But on another level, what was actually going on was that God was showing his loving kindness through Boaz. And again, that's how Naomi saw it. Because at the end of the day, when Ruth got home to Naomi, and when she told her about all that had happened, and when she shared the leftover grain with her, do you remember what she said? Verse 20, Yahweh has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. All the way through this chapter, what has been happening is that God has been clearly showing his loving kindness. And it has been so overt, so obvious, that even bitter Naomi has seen it. And gee, what a change it has brought about in her. She went from being bitter at God, to blaming him and accusing him, to recognising the evidence of his loving kindness, and to delighting in it and to rejoicing in it. Now how do we end up like that? like the Naomi at the end of chapter 2. If that's what happens when you see God's loving kindness, well, where do we look to see the obvious kindness of God? Well, you know, just like in this chapter, God can show his loving kindness through fortunate events. Just a couple of months ago, we as a church were facing a significant financial shortfall. And if we didn't come up with the extra money, we were going to have to seriously think about cutting back on ministries and reducing staffing levels. But it just so happens that the amount of money that people have pledged to increase their giving by, it pretty much exactly, almost down to the dollar, matches the shortfall. And that could just be a fortunate event. I actually think that is God showing his loving kindness. Just like in this chapter, God can show his loving kindness to us through particular people, like like he did through Boaz. I think God is showing his loving kindness to me through my wife, Sarah. She agreed to marry me, after all. That wasn't meant to be that funny. (laughs) She's born my children. She's raising them. She's encouraged and helped me to grow in maturity and in my following of Jesus. She's forgiven me, I don't know how many times, when I've made dumb decisions and when I've hurt her, 
And she's done all those things because I reckon she's reflecting God's loving kindness. I'm sure you can think of other people or other experiences that you've had that God has used to show loving kindness to you. But look, in all honesty, the thing about experience is that it's really subjective, isn't it? It's open to interpretation. So last week, our experiences, our circumstances, they couldn't convince us that God wasn't loving or kind. And this week, it's not our experiences or our circumstances either that convince us that God is loving and kind. He can show us loving kindness through those things. That's not the clearest evidence. If you want undeniable evidence of God's loving kindness, if you want evidence that even Bid and Naomi can see, if you want to see the obvious kindness of God, then there's really only one place to look. And that is, of course, the cross. Because it is in Jesus that God most clearly shows his loving kindness. So let me show you. In Romans, for example, Paul says this. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Undeniable evidence of God's loving kindness. In a letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, It is by grace you've been saved. You see, God clearly shows his loving kindness through Jesus at the cross. But it goes on. We thought about this one just a few weeks ago in 1 John. If anybody sins, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And again in Titus, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through Jesus Christ our Saviour. The cross makes it so obvious, doesn't it? the loving kindness of God. It's at the cross that God's love and kindness meet. It's at the cross that we see the full extent of God's covenant faithfulness. It's at the cross that we see that God's love really is unfailing. It never fails. It's at the cross that we see that God will stop at nothing for the sake of his people. Because at the cross it becomes obvious. Like Werner read for us at the start of the meeting that God did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Friends, that is how God has clearly shown his loving kindness. And in the end, that is the proof, that is the undeniable evidence that he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. 
Let me pray. Father, we confess that sometimes in our life it is hard to see how you're being loving and kind. But other times your loving kindness is so clear, it is so obvious. And Father, we, we admit that it is no, nowhere is it clearer than in Jesus. And Father, thank you that we can so clearly see your loving kindness in the fact that you didn't even spare your own son, but you gave him up for us all. Help us not to lose sight of that, Father. We pray these things in his name. Amen.